2: Welcome to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. And um, this is the second of a new type of episode that I'll be doing occasionally called Trending Now. There's just too much crazy shit going on out there these days to not comment on it more than I already normally do. So every couple weeks, I'm going to gather it all up and put it through the foodiness filter. And... Um, and run it by you but we will be getting back to the regular old shows about food and foodiness in the next few weeks too so fear not about that but before we even get into that in the meantime let's discuss what is happening this weekend which is yes the new season of mad men is starting and i seriously cannot wait because i am a helpless mad men addict i can't help it i know i have a problem. I can admit it. And despite the multiple year leaps into the future that they keep taking on Mad Men and the fact that the early 70s don't really interest me the way that the early 60s did in the first few seasons, I still can't stay away. I personally don't really want to relive the early 70s because I can remember it and it was so ugly and I don't really want to go back there. But of course, I will watch the show because I love all the characters. I love Sally and... Peggy and Joan and Ginsburg and Stan and Roger and Don, of course. But I really like those smaller, more interesting characters better. They're more interesting. There's more depth to them. But I also watch Mad Men because I have a secret, well, not anymore. Love, hate, obsession with advertising. Really, really good, really smart, clever advertising kind of really gets me going. And when Mad Men is at its best is when they're doing a storyline where they're talking about creating new ad campaigns. There was an episode in the early season about the Kodak carousel slide projector. And that episode was so beautifully written and so moving that it like nearly brought me to tears. It like gave me the shivers to watch it. And that's the brilliant power of advertising and of ad think. That's when I think advertising is at its Finest, not at its most evil. And I think had I been less stubborn and less stupid in college, i I would have probably skipped the failed so-called legitimate artist path that I was making for myself and gone directly to J. Walter Thompson or something like that. Now, of course, I probably would have wound up hating myself for it because I would be creating ads for squeezable blue yogurt in a tube or the latest 15 miles per gallon minivan behemoth, albeit with a six-figure, you know, middle six-figure income salary and a nice vacation home and an expense account. But the fantasy of creating the brilliant ads that transform people along with the expense account still lingers in my mind. Somewhat, But I chose not to go that way. That's okay. So trending now, since we're on the subject of advertising, let's just briefly revisit the theme of a show that I did a few weeks ago about edible advertising called Edible Advertising is the Toilet Babies of Food. Do you remember that? It was a few weeks ago. I mean, how could you forget? I exploited the plight of babies who were given birth to in high school toilets during the prom to promote Let's Get Real. I mean, to help the public understand that advertising isn't food. Now, in that episode, I talked about the new Fanta ads that are running in magazines that are made of edible paper, paper that consumers willingly tear off a page and ingest with no thought to give in to what's In the paper, what poisonous chemicals or other toxins went into not only producing the paper, but producing the artificially flavored paper designed to taste like artificially flavored soda. No thought given to the fact that they should be eating food, not advertising. Now, a little note here. I would refer to these consumers as people, only I don't think people eat advertising. I think if you're eating advertising, then you are indeed nothing but a consumer the point is with edible advertising that there is no there there remember and remember back about 60 episodes ago this is episode 60 after all I debuted the six degrees of foodiness because I thought that was all there was you couldn't go any lower than a gummy vitamin or thinking that apple jacks were fruit but edible advertising has broken new ground to become the all new seventh degree of foodiness, or even eighth degree of foodiness. There's also a six and a half degree foodiness, which is enhanced gum for energy and nutrition, which lies somewhere between sixth degree diet Pepsi with added fiber and seventh degree magazine ad flavored like artificial orange flavoring that you eat. But we covered that last time, and enough has been said on that topic. And so I was sure that seventh degree foodiness was really it, that we had hit true bottom, the end, ride over, please exit through the gift shop but no every time I do a show where I think we've hit bottom we go even lower there's always someplace lower to go because now we've gone beyond edible advertising edible advertising is too fleeting because once you swallow that's it it's all just poop after that until they figure out a way that once you swallowed it to use nanotechnology to allow the information to penetrate your brain directly from within your body, and I'm sure that's next, and it will probably be part of the Google Glasses app, and I really shouldn't be giving away these ideas for free. The point is that how could you get lower than eating advertising? How could there be a further depth in the foodiness rabbit hole? Well, foodiness has broken new ground in the foodiness rabbit hole yet again with the next scary paradigm in advertising ads that eat people, or rather ads that eat consumers, or rather ads that consume consumers. I don't know. You decide. Do you not know what I'm referring to yet? (sighs) Well, do you live in New York? Have you looked up from your device lately? Don't answer that. If you have looked up, you might have noticed that we are actually living inside of the advertising now. We have been reduced to being vessels or reflective surfaces or sponges for a fully immersive, all-encompassing ad experience. It's not enough anymore to place an ad on a bus or a billboard or a subway platform wall. You now have to be literally inside the advertising. It's eating us. There's no escape. You enter a subway car now, and all the flat surfaces, the ones that used to be covered in graffiti back in my youth, are now one seamless, laser-printed, fully-colored, totally immersive ad experience. You are being eaten by advertising. Now, the Columbus Circle subway station here in New York, recently and finally renovated after the New York Coliseum-era decrepitude it had fallen into, Cleaned and redone to match the Dallas-style glitz of the Time Warner Center. Have you walked through that long concourse corridor lately in that station? Well, if you looked up, you probably saw that you are walking through an ad. Not just individual images on designated ad space, but literally being immersed in the ad right into the beast's belly, like Jonah and the whale. It's Orwellian, and you can't escape Unless, of course, you don't look up from your phone. In which case, the advertising that's printed on the stairs leading out of the subway will take care of that. Now, the first one I noticed in that station was about a year ago, and it was for dog food. And it was one endless no escape assault on my consciousness and my wallet for my dog food dollars, complete with a wee kind of game tie in that the tourists were all playing as they snapped photos of the ads. Now, I don't have a dog, so why do I have to see that? Can Google Glasses filter out the ads that don't apply to us? Maybe my Google Glasses can just simulate temporary blindness. In a way, that would kind of be ideal. Then along came a big ad campaign for Lord of the Rings, which played on an endless loop 24-7, like some North Korean propaganda campaign that you can't turn off because the speaker in your house has no switch and you'll be sent to prison camp for life if you touch it. Now, I don't care about Lord of the Rings. I've never seen it. I've never read it. I don't give a shit about Lord of the Rings. Can my Google Glasses filter that one out, too? Can I have my glasses set to only show Mad Men posters and those Bloombergian shaming ads aimed at fat people and teen mothers? Because I kind of enjoy those. Now, in the station, it's a massive campaign for power water. And as you walk down the concourse, all you can think Power water, power water, power water, power water, power water. And if I think power water for too long, all I want to do is find somewhere to pee. But this being New York, you can be physically eaten by advertising, but try finding a public toilet somewhere. Of course, that's what Starbucks is for. Maybe Google can figure out a solution for that too. The Google adult diaper. Maybe bring back the Stadium Pal. So as people, which is to say consumers, walk the avenue-length concourse, they have no way to opt out of being propagandized about power water. Now, Chris, my co-producer, who has to walk through that station twice a week on the way to his capoeira class on 56th Street, took pictures of the ad and pointed out that it's so big that you can't get it in one shot. He said it took seven different frames to get the whole ad. And it's not like they're informing us that, say there are only three tigers left in the world or there are still 20,000 nuclear warheads pointing at us from North Korea or that tuna is almost extinct or even that we're running out of clean, real water. No, this is massive advertising for water that's poisoned with toxic flavors, artificial sweeteners, color chemicals and put into a plastic container which then leaks more chemicals into it. Now, let me point out That if the terrorists flew a plane full of toxic chemicals into the Croton Aqueduct just 50 miles north of New York City and poisoned our water supply, we'd have the drones and the yellow ribbons and the freedom fries all out again in full force. And let's not even get into how many millions of meaningful Facebook updates there would be in support of the war against the water poisoning terrorists. But some nice benevolent multinational like Pepsi or Monsanto puts purple dye and aspartame in a bottle of tap water and charges two seventy five for it, and the masses line up for their chance to flush their money down the toilet and mutate their cells and poison their liver like it was Jesus handing out strawberry-flavored diet holy water with electrolytes or something like that. Didn't Jesus do that, like hand out water to the poor or something? Or maybe he just walked on water? Something about Jesus and water. Anyway, you see my point. Jesus didn't walk on power water. But don't tell the tea party about that. Now, about 25 years ago, when the city was still kind of pulling out of the late 70s near-demise brink, and Giuliani was starting to get all law and order on us, Ben and Jerry's, back then, a small, progressive, socially responsible company, not yet owned by Unilever, approached the city and proposed that they, the city, in exchange for naming rights and ad space, would rebuild the then-decrepit, crumbling 72nd Street subway station. They'd put their name on it, advertise on its walls, pipe in music, and redo the station, which hadn't been maintained in 100 years at their expense. Now, the city haughtily refused the offer, saying that the line between public utility and commercial entity could not be crossed that way, and that the New York City subway was not for sale not for sale. How quaint. How pre-Bloombergian. Now that I look back on that, Ben and Jerry's charming cartoony cows and Vermonti feel-good ethos would have been totally benign compared to Power Water and 24-7 flat screen ads speak in my face. And now, 25 years later, when I take the B train home and I get off at the Barclays Center stop. Wait a minute. I don't remember the city changing the name of Pacific Street to Barclays Center Street. Did I miss something? Maybe I was too busy texting. I should look up more often. Things are really happening. It's beginning to look and feel a lot like Neo-Socopros, the futuristic world of Cloud Atlas, of the Korean corpocracy. In Cloud Atlas, the line between public and commercial is irrelevant in this newly unified, futuristic North and South Korea. It doesn't exist anymore, that line. There's no line between private and commercial anymore, or public and commercial, because it's been eaten by itself. But I'll give the foodiness ad men this. Ads that eat people work. I mean, truly, by the time you've been eaten and digested by the Columbus Circle foodiness ad, the only thought in your mind is power water. Actually, Let's Get Real could use that kind of ad exposure. I wonder how much the city charges for that kind of thing. We're going to take a short break when we come back. More trending now on Let's Get Real.
1: You're listening to Penny by Snow Mine on the Heritage Radio Network.org. This is Chris Howell from Kane Vineyard and Winery. In our industrial world, most wines have become brands, but the wines I love are so much more. Fine wine is a civilizing substance that connects us to nature. It cannot be stamped out in a factory. If you're listening to this great show, you probably eat different. I urge you to drink different too. Go deeper. cane 5com
2: Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, repairing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Weitz, your host. Remember that Heritage Radio Network is a member-supported station, so you should become a member. You should join. Go to heritageradionetwork.org. Click on join. Is it join? Donate? Become a member. Click on whatever that button is. Become a member. Join us here at Heritage Radio. And remember also that all the Heritage Radio Network Shows are available on iTunes and they're also available on Heritage dot org. And you can also listen to Let's Get Real on iTunes and on my website, which is let's get real show dot com, where you can also now watch video of my radio show. So you can watch me talk on video and you can look at other clips of me doing various other TV things That I've done, and of course, you can listen to all of my other shows with titles like "You're Being Infantilized by Your Fiber Bars" or "Veggie Puffs Are Turning Us Into Vegetables," or "If Diets Worked, Kirstie Alley Would Still Be Thin." You have no reason to not go back and listen to those. I mean, it's not like you're going to hear Alice Waters or Rachel Ray or Paula Deen tell you if it comes in a bottle, don't drink it, unless it's booze, but not cupcake flavored booze, because that's how you pass out at midnight and wind up pregnant by dawn. Just say it. Anyway, also trending now chicken that makes you gay. But first, Obama signed the so called Monsanto defense bill last week. Now, anytime you hear something, something, something defense bill, you know we're in trouble because you know something evil and criminal and malevolent is being defended, like the Defense of Marriage Act. In this case, we're talking about a sneaky little bit of language tucked into the spending bill, more precisely known as Section 735 of H.R. 933, a spending bill signed into law by President Obama on Tuesday, last Tuesday. Section 35 effectively shields large biotech companies like Monsanto from the federal courts in case something is found to be harmful in their genetically modified seeds. Because of Section 35, Section, sorry, 735, Federal courts would be powerless to stop Monsanto from selling their product. Not that the courts have much power over them, but it's a pretty huge concession to a biotech giant like Monsanto. Now, wait a minute. This was a massive spending bill. How did this sneaky bit of deviance get attached? Someone should have seen it, right? It should have gone before the agricultural or the judiciary committees, right? Uh... Nope. Section 735 was an anonymous rider attached to the spending bill, the one that got signed really, really fast while nobody was looking and got signed into law because everybody was too busy tweeting and putting those red equality signs on their Facebook profile pictures and thinking power, water, power, water, power, water. So bad news for all of humanity and good news for biotech giants this week. Meanwhile, what the country needs is a defense of Let's Get Real Act, which legally prevents Comedy Central or an appropriate web series network from not buying this show, along with the defense of Erica Wydzak, which prevents me from ever being sued for something I said on air or at work. But back to chicken that makes you gay. So speaking of biotech giants, we all know that industrial chickens are pumped full of antibiotics and various forms of hormones to make them bigger, meatier and more boobtastic and half the time a plain old farmyard chicken and four billion years of evolution takes to get there right and conservatives and now even our so-called socialist president and his government are protecting the biotech megacorps that created this system of frankenfoodiness that allow those chickens to be produced and even encourage their production and Those same Tea Party wingnuts also came to the defense of companies like Chick-fil-A for giving money to anti-same-sex marriage groups and having anti-gay policies. But what happens if this self-same, hormonal, industrialized chicken makes kids gay? Well, a popular Colombian supermodel, and we all know that supermodels are the best spokespeople, thinks chicken injected with hormones can turn a child gay. Colombia's Caracol TV filmed 39-year-old model Natalia Paris, or Paris, apparently arguing that hormones in chicken are turning children gay. The model reportedly made the comments as she greeted fans outside a store in Bogota, according to the New York Daily News. We know how reliable they are. In the video clip, Paris claims girls between the ages of 7 and 10 are starting to develop sooner because hormones in poultry make everything in the body accelerate. That's why those boys who are eating those chickens, they're starting to turn into homosexuals, she said, later adding that we need to be aware of the things we consume. Good advice. Now, this idea has been floating around for years that the increase in hormones in our food supply is causing precocious puberty. What is precocious puberty? Despite how it sounds, it isn't the name of the latest tween boy band. Precocious puberty is a development of secondary sex characteristics at a very young age, like boobs on a six-year-old or a hairy pits on your toddler. And it very well may be true, but that's not what I'm talking about today. Today, it's about chickens making your kids gay, because if a Colombian supermodel says so, it must be true. Now, who sells the most industrialized chicken to the world? Well, companies like Chick fil A and KFC. And who is supporting the rights of those companies to sell hormone and antibiotic filled chickens? The pro industry right wing. And who hates gays the most and is fighting like hell against marriage inequality? Those same closet case gays on the right. I mean, those same guys. Uh oh. Now what? Selling chicken that makes our girls have boobs at four and our boys gay isn't good for anyone, but if selling dollar-menu chicken sandwiches is good for business, then it's good for America, right? So what are we supposed to be against? This is all getting very confusing. Maybe I'll just eat fish instead, except shit, you can't do that either because all the hormones from the birth control pee that flushes into our water system every day is now in our fish too. So I guess eating that fish sandwich... We'll make our kids gay also. Now, in closing, my co-producer and publicist, Chris Nutter, who describes himself as a four and a half to five on the Kinsey scale and is a classic boys in the band card carrying, gym going, vodka cocktail drinking, disco dancing for Bachelor, says he attributes his same sex feelings to a combination of too many early childhood pickles, a slightly too intimate relationship with his mother and watching too many Duran Duran videos. Let's Get Real is all about being scientific, and that if that isn't scientific, I don't know what is. And he's not even a Colombian supermodel or anything. We're going to take another very short break, and when we get back, the final segment of our Trending Now show. We'll be right back.
1: You're listening to Danger in the Snow by Snow Mine on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Danger in the snow necessary steps investigate your route proceed with caution in talking affection danger in the snow danger in the
2: snow Welcome back to the Trending Now episode of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. I'm Erica Wise, your host. This is the Heritage Radio Network. You are listening to heritageradionetwork.org. Or maybe it's later tonight and you're listening to let'sgetrealshow.com. Either one's good. Or maybe it's weeks from now and you're listening to iTunes. It all works. Remember also, you can follow me on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show. And you can also find Let's Get Real on Facebook. Okay, so finally, the last item tonight in our Trending Now episode I'm cheap. You all know that. If you've been listening to this show for the three, four years I've been doing it, you know that I'm what I really call thrifty, not cheap, thrifty. Especially now, as I have left my full-time teaching job due to creative differences with my employer and to pursue fulfilling my destiny to be the John Stewart of food, let's just say I'm having to be slightly more Jewish slash thrifty than usual these days, which is okay. I'm good at it. It's in my genes, which is also scientific. And my genes, which were only nine ninety nine at Old Navy. So when I was in Ohio two weeks ago to cook a benefit dinner for Veggie U, which is a program I'm very fond of and feel very strongly about. Um I was out there with my friend Beach, who I've talked about on this show before, and We also brought along our sous chef, Bill Krause. And my friend, who lives in Cleveland, met us for dinner in Cleveland. We all had dinner at the Greenhouse Tavern, which is a great restaurant. You should all go there if you live anywhere near Ohio. And then we went out for drinks someplace in Cleveland. Now, I don't know Cleveland very well, but my friend said, I want to take you guys out to this place, this cocktail bar, and we'll have drinks. And by taking us out, she drove us there, and we all paid for our own drinks which is something I'm still recovering from because first of all I'm not much of a cocktail drinker I would rather have beer or wine or just a really simple cocktail now I appreciate the creativity behind the whole artisanal cocktail movement the artisanal oak leaf bitters and the house smoked air and All of that stuff, I get it. But I think the whole thing has gotten a little out of hand, a little up its own ass, if you ask me. Now, a really good Tanqueray gin and tonic, that's great. Or a well-made, nice, dry, classic martini, that's fine. But if you want to taste the rainbow and the forest and the dirt in your glass, that's okay, too. Just don't charge me the same price for that that you would charge me for an entree in a restaurant. Now, I thought that things had kind of hit Max Insanity when I was forced to pay $14 for a drink in Manhattan not that long ago. $14 for a glass of three ounces of mixer and an ounce of alcohol and some pine needles and deer sweat, maybe? Now, there is nothing you can put in a cocktail other than maybe diamonds and gold dust that would make it worth $14 to me. I'm sorry, but I can clearly see that the emperor is naked you are not fooling me so what the fuck is the world coming to when in Cleveland a so-called artisanal cocktail at a faux speakeasy in a fringy edge of town costs $18 yes $18 for basically grapefruit juice and Campari now we're not talking midtown Manhattan real estate here this was not at the plaza This was not per se. This was the edge of town, kind of dumpy, scary Cleveland outskirts. $18 for a drink. And don't tell me it's artisanal or handcrafted because until there's an actual robot making my drink, they're all handcrafted. You shook some booze and ice in a strainer with your hands. That makes it handcrafted. Get over yourself. It still makes me sick to think about it. Screw you, Cleveland. There's a lot of great new stuff happening there with your food scene, and I can appreciate and support that, but you are seriously pushing it with that place. If I hadn't been totally reliant on my friend's car to get me back to the hotel and I had no idea where I was, I would have walked right out that door. And instead, I had to sit there and pretend to enjoy my $18 cocktail made from artisanal Lake Erie perch gills. But that's another idea I shouldn't really be giving away for free. So anyway, that's it for Trending Now. We're back with more food and foodiness in two weeks. I'm heading to San Francisco tomorrow for the IACP conference. If anybody's going to be there, find me, say hi. So our next live show in two weeks will be "Cereal is the Devil's Work, and that will air on the 16th. Now, that episode will be all scientific because it's true. Cereal is the devil's work, unless I get some cereal company sponsor, in which case I will retract that statement. And since I'll be pretty busy while I'm in San Francisco, I probably won't have time to watch the Mad Men season premiere until the next week, so please don't post or tweet or pin anything about it. Don't ruin it for me. I don't want to know. Thank you. So if you don't want to eat shit or drink shit or be consumed as if you were shit or have poisonous shit legally defended, keep tuning in to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, preparing, and eating food here on Heritage Radio Network. Thanks to Chris Nutter, my co-producer. Thanks to Joe in the control room. And thanks to Adam, the cinematographer. And we will see you live in a few weeks.
1: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website,